We have just a few seconds before a quarter to three, and I once heard from Rabbi Joseph Breuer, the head of the Breuer's community, who said in his Mamaloshin, Early is also not early on time. So you can't bring the train in early. Now it's 3.45, so we're on time. I don't think there could be a better time to speak about the five fast days of Tevet right after lunch. <laughs> Nobody's going to be hungry during this year. Hopefully not. But lo ra'av lelechem v'lo tzamalamayim kim l'shmot v'rashem Five fast days of the month of Tevet? I remember that there was a Sarah Tevet. That's correct. But we will discover that there are at least four dates in Tevet. Perhaps a fifth date, perhaps. But certainly a fifth idea grafted onto one of the existing dates. So although it says, Ein Seder Mishnah. Uh, we have uh, source pages here, which we're not going to do 100% in order. So we're going to begin with source number 7, because this is going to give us a little bit of a, a, a proper beginning to the obvious. On the second page, source number 7 from the Gemara Masev Rosh Hashanah. So to begin with, we have the Psukim in Zechariah Perek Zion. Zechariah Perek Zion, Pasugimul. The Navi asks a She'ilah Hilchatit. Very rarely do you have in the Chumash or in the Navi a Shaila. I mean, you have the question of the Notzlofchad, and there was the question of the Mekoshei Shetzim. You have here and there Shailas. Shelotu Chuvot, responsa literature in the Tanakh itself. And here the question in the beginning of Baycheni, posed by the Navi Zechariah, Haifke Bachodesh Hachamishi, Hinazer Kasherasiti Zekameshanim. For seventy years, people observed the fast day after the destruction of the first Beit Hamikdash, and now we're building the second Beit Hamikdash. Does the fast of the month of Av, Chodesh HaChamishi, the Tzom HaChamishi, does it still remain intact? That's a very good question. It's such a good question that although we have a beautiful answer in the following parak, we don't exactly know what the Navi is answering. So in Perik Chet of uh, Sefer Zechariah, the Navi says, Kom HaShem, Tzom HaRavii, V'Tzom HaChamishi, V'Tzom HaShvii, V'Tzom HaAsiri, the fast of the fourth month, Tammuz, the fast of the fifth month, Av, the fast of the seventh month, Tishrei, referring to Tzom Gedalia, and the fast of the tenth month, Tevet, will become to Beit Yehuda, Lisoson Ul Simcha, Ul Moadim Tovim. They will become Yamim Tovim. So what's the answer? Do we fast on Tishabov in Bayi or not? It's a little bit uh, unclear. And this has led to a dispute amongst Parshanei Mikra. The obvious seems to be what the response is that there's no need to fast if we now have a Beit HaMikdash. And that makes a lot of sense. So the Rambam does not take that position. 
The Rambam in the very end of Hilchot Taniyot, it's not yet on the page, in the end of Perak Hey, fifth chapter of Hilchot Taniyot tells us that in the future, Bacharit Yamim, then these days will no longer be fast days. And he says, and not only that, they will become Yamim Tovim. Almost uh, giving an imp- somewhat of a implication that it may not happen at the same day. First, there will be the abolition of the fast as fast days, and perhaps at some later time, and not only that, but there will be uh, Yamim Tovim grafted upon the dates that once upon a time were fast days. But even if it would happen instantaneously, the Rambam's talking about Acharit Yamim, the end of days. It's the same Rambam in his Mishnah commentary, in Masechet Rosh Hashanah, Perak Aleph, who says, and this is very, very startling, that throughout the entire period of Bayit Shini, the Second Temple era, we actually fasted Tisha B'Av. said, we didn't fast the other fast, they were voluntary, but Tisha B'Av was mandatory, and he goes on to explain why. Which, can you imagine, Beit HaMikdash is up and running, and functioning, and yet, Am Yisrael is fasting for the destruction. Because apparently the gap between that which once was and that which is was so great that it still warranted mourning on Tisha B'Av. To this end, the Navi tells us that there were four fast days in commemoration of the Chorban. In Tammuz, in Av, in Tishrei, and in Tevet. What we have is the, the, the months, but we do not have the exact dates. To be sure, each of these months or fast days have disputes as to what are the exact dates that Zechariah had in mind. So two years ago, this year, we dedicated the year to Tzom HaRavi'i, the fast of the fourth month, and we saw that there was a dispute whether it was on the 9th of Tammuz or the 17th of Tammuz. I'm not going to repeat the whole shir. Tishabav, as we know it today, is for sure the destruction of the second Beit HaMikdash. But the Yerushalmi in Masechet Anit suggests that there were two traditions as to when to observe the destruction of the first Beit HaMikdash. And it's not just a question of when to observe it, but when did it exactly happen because in the Navi, we have a contradiction. And one source tells us something about the 7th, and one source tells us about the 10th. None of the sources tell about the 9th. Yet there was one tradition that we fasted Tisha B'Av after the first Beit HaMikdash was destroyed. And the alternate tradition was we fasted on Rosh Chodesh Av. And from here was born Mishinichnas Av Mima'atim B'Simcha, what we classically call the Nine Days. So you have two opinions. Tzom Gedalia. So when exactly was Gedalia assassinated? There were those who say he was assassinated on Rosh Hashanah, on the first of Tishrei, except that you cannot have a fast day on Rosh Hashanah. So it's always pushed. The next day is also Rosh Hashanah. So you push it another day. It becomes the third of Tishrei. Rambam was of the opinion that Gedalia was assassinated on the third of Tishrei. So the question is, when was Gedalia assassinated? But... You have the Tzom Gedalia with some question mark as to the date, exact date of the event. And now we come to Tevet, the, uh, the theme of our shir, the Tzom Ha'asiri. So in the source number 7, the Gemara tells us that the Tanah Rabbi Shimon makes a comment that there are four matters where Rabbi Akiva and myself are in disagreement. You just, did I say something? Did you learn this now? No, sorry. 
that Rabbi Akiva and myself are in disagreement. Rabbi Shimon says, Tzoma Asiri, this is the date that the Babylonians, the Bukhanetzar, lay siege around Yerushalayim. As it says in Yecheskel Chavdalit, in the ninth year of Tzitkiyahu's reign, the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month. So here your date is absolute. It's Asara B'Tevet, tenth of Tevet. Lemor saying, Ben Adam Ktov Lecha et Shem Hayom Azeh, et Etzem Hayom Azeh, Samach Melech Bavel Yerushalayim. On this very day, the Babylonians lay siege around Yerushalayim. Why is it called the Tzom HaAsiri, the fast of the tenth? Because it's Asiri, Lechodashim. You start counting from Nisan, and now Tevet is the tenth month. As it says in the Gilat Esther, Lechodesh HaAsiri, Huchodesh Tevet. The, in, the, in the sequence of tragic events of the Dechurban, this was actually the first event, the laying slave, the siege around Yerushalayim. Only later did the Babylonians crash through the walls of Yerushalayim. Only later did they destroy Yerushalayim. And only later was, was Gedalia assassinated. So in the sequential order, it should be the first fast. So why did Zechariah list it at the end of the list? It should have said, Tzoma Asiri, Tzoma Revi'i, Tzoma Chamishi, Tzoma Shvi'i. So Gemara says, Lama Nichtav Kan, Kedel Azdir Chodashim Ketikunan. Just to keep the calendar in its proper order. That's all. I'll just give you a very quick analogy. Um, when you interview sixth graders for a yeshiva uh, junior high school, for Chativat Benayim, going into seventh grade, many schools, they'll ask the kids, whether orally or in written, uh, which Chag historically came first, Hanukkah or Purim? More often than not, the kids say Hanukkah. Why? Because it comes out earlier in the school year. It's very simple. <laughs> which, of course, it's just the opposite. Purim was between Bayit Rishon Bayit Sheni, and Hanukkah is deep into Bayit Sheni. But in the Shulchan Aruch, the Torah and the Shulchan Aruch, it's exactly that. There's Hilchot Hanukkah, and only afterwards you have Hilchot Purim. Why? Because Rabbi Yaakov ben Asher, the author of the Torah, and then picking up on this, Rabbi Yosef Karo, and the Shulchan Aruch simply follows the calendar from Pesach. So you have everything from Nisan until Adar. So there, Hanukkah comes before Purim. So it means Rabbi Yosef Karo would never gotten into my seventh grade. <laughs> so here, the, um, the Navi Zechariah simply wrote it, Lefi Seda Chodashim, Nisan, Yosivan. So you have the Revi'i, Chamishi, Shvi'i, and Asiri. And this is the opinion of... Um, Rabbi Akiva. Vani eini Omer Kain. I, Rabbi Shimon says, I don't I believe this. I believe as follows. Toma Siri, Zechamishabetevet, Shabosh Bashmua Lagola Shukta Ir, Shinemar, Vaihi Bashte Asrishana, Bashte Basiri, Bahamishala Chodesh, the Galutenu, Ba Elaya Palit Mirushalayim Lemur, Huktaha Ir. Yecheskel reports, that a half a year after the destruction of the first Beit HaMikdash, and it was the fifth day of the tenth month, that is the fifth of Tevet, the news arrived that Yushalayim was destroyed. It took a half a year for the Babylonian Jewish community to catch wind that there was a destruction. It's almost like if the sun would implode and there would be no longer a sun, we wouldn't know about it for eight and a half minutes. Because that's the travel, the, the, the velocity of, of light. You wouldn't know about it. So here, Am Yisrael in the Babel, the Babylonian Jewish community, in the diaspora, did not know there was a korban. Because there was no CNN, there was no breaking news. They didn't know about it. 
And the Gemara says that they established a fast on the 5th of Tevet because the Yom HaShmu'ah, just the hearing of the news, Ki Yom Sreifat Beit was as traumatic as the very, very destruction itself. Which, parenthetically, is important even on a private level. There's a concept called Yom HaShmu'ah. The person finds out later, after people concluded sitting Shiva, that an immediate relative died. There's a limited, abbreviated uh, type of uh, Elut. Yom HaShmu'ah is, is irrelevant, it's an important factor. So here you see that Rabbi Shimon says, this was the Tzomer uh, Siri, and it follows the order of history, which means Tzomer as Zechariah says it, that's the crashing of the walls, Tzomer HaMishi, the destruction, Tzomer Shvi'i was the assassination of Gedaliah, and Tzomer Asiri was half a year later when the Babylonian community caught on. So here you have two dates, the 5th of Tevet or the 10th of Tevet. Here in the state of Israel, even before Medinat Yisrael was established, 1947, the chief rabbinate, Rav Herzog and Rav Uziel, established that on Asarabe Tevet we should be saying Kaddish for the Holocaust um, martyrs, especially those who had no clue as to what date this may be. I can just tell you from my experience back in the United States, we didn't know from Asarabe Tevet Yom HaKadish HaKlali, and people just picked either Tisha B'Av or Yom Kippur as the date, or perhaps any other arbitrary date. But here in Eretz Yisrael, the Rabbanut HaRashid suggested that it should be, that Asarab Tevet should be given a little bit of an upgrade, and the, and the idea of the Shoah should be grafted on. So this is uh, what I would consider an extra idea that we have today with Asarab Tevet. But fundamentally, it's two dates. Now, because the Navid does not give a specific date for any of these fast days, opened up the Pandora's box to when the fast comes out on Shabbat. So when Shabbat uh, Tammuz falls out on Shabbat, as it will be next year, we don't fast on Shabbat, we fast it on Sunday on the 18th. When Tisha B'Av comes out on Shabbat, like it will be next year, so we fast it the next day on the 10th. When Tzom Gedaliah comes out on Shabbat, which it also does when Rosh Hashanah is on Thursday this year, so Tzom Gedaliah is the 4th of, te- of, of, of uh, Tishrei. And what about... Asarabit well good thing, Asarabit never falls out on Shabbat. So we really don't have to discuss it. But every Yeshiva Bacha knows that the Rob's grandfather, Rab Chaim Salvechik from Brisk, had a nice chidush. Because the um, there was a statement by some of the early, early Rishonim and Geonim, going back to the author of the Halachot Gedolot, the Bahag Bal Halachot Gedolot, that even though in our calendar Tzoma Siri can never fall out on Shabbat, but if it would fall out on Shabbat, this is what we bother doing in Beit Midrash. If it would fall out on Shabbat, would we fast it the next day on the 11th, or would we perhaps fast it on the 10th on Shabbat? And there was an opinion, and it's brought down by the Beit Yosef in the name of the Abu Dram, that, that we would fast it on a Sarabet Tevet. This led many, many, including Rab Chaim from Brisk, to, to, to suggest why would we fast a Sarabet Tevet on Shabbat? And one of the reasons is the same phrase that's found by Yom Kippur, Be'etzem Yom Azeh, is found in Yechezkel with regard to Asarab Tevet, Et'etzem Yom Azeh, which means the date was critical and could not be tomorrow or the day after. But in the Rambam and in Shulchan Aruch, it does not seem to be that way. Because the Rambam says, Kol Arba Lalo, all of these four fast days that fall out on Shabbat, they're moved to Sunday. So even though the Asarab Tevet never does fall out on Sunday, it appears from the Rambam that if it would fall out on Shabbat, we would fast it on Sunday. 
we would fast it on it would never if it would fall out on Shabbat we would fast it on Sunday which means that in theory the 11th of Tevei could also be a fast day according to the view of the Rambam it would be the Nidcha status of Asara Tevei but I say again that's a, a conjecture and now we're getting to the meat let's go back to the first page the first page is from source number one it's from Shulchan Aruch Orachayim Siman Tafkuf Pei Tafkuf Pei which is um, 580 in Shulchan Aruch. It's the last section of the laws of Tanayot. It's what I would call in English miscellaneous fast days, or modern Hebrew, shonot. Rabbi Yosef Karu calls it, yamim shemit anim bahem. These are days that we fast. The parak has so many, so many different dates. Most of us have never heard of any of these fast days. But I'll just tell you off the record, if you're looking for a good diet... <laughs> Pick up on this simon and Shulchan Aruch, take upon yourself all these dates, and for a half a year you're not eating. I guarantee you, you're going to lose some weight. It's got to work. What's very, very strange is two of the dates mentioned in this parak are Rosh Chodeshim, are Rosh Chodesh. And there's a prohibition of fasting on Rosh Chodesh. There's a dispute whether it's biblical or rabbinic, but everybody agrees you're not allowed to fast on Rosh Chodesh. One is Rosh Chodesh Nisan, it says the day that the children of Aaron, Nadav, and Avio died, and that in itself is a machloket in the Medrash itself between Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Yosef Aglili, and then a machloket of between Rashi and the Eben Ezra, whether whether Nadav and Avio died on Rosh Chodesh or died on the eighth, Vayibi Yomishmini, maybe it's the eighth of Nisan. So it's a conjecture, and yet you have a Tanit Sadikim on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, and then you have Rosh Chodesh Av, the date of the yard site of Aaron Kohen, the only yard site mentioned in the whole Torah, we just read it on Shabbat, Bachodesh HaChamishi Bechad LaChodesh. And that's a shir in itself, I don't want to get into it, but uh, why somebody would even entertain to have a fast day. But uh, some of the poskim point out, because it's Rosh Chodesh, and if somebody takes upon himself or herself these fasts, they shouldn't finish the day as a fast day. Lo mashlimim, eat after chatzot, break the fast, because it's Rosh Chodesh. But I'm getting into the line of source number one. On the 8th of Tevet, the Torah was written, translated into Greek. That was King Talmai Philadelphus V. And he was a bookworm. And uh, he um, had, a, had a hobby of collecting books in his national library. And he wanted to have the Bible in his national library. And he orders 72 Chachamim to come down from Yushalayim. He puts them up in the Hilton in different rooms, no intercom, and wants to take a look at the various translations. And it turns out by Ness, by miracle, they all translate identically. And the Chiddush was, the novelty was that they translated certain phrases differently than what the Chumash says in order for a variety of reasons. The Gemara in source number two actually gives us some of this background. The Tanya, it says in the Breita, Maseh B'Talmai HaMelech She'Kines Shivim Mishnayim Zkenim 72 elders from the Sanhedrin Hichnisam B'Shivim Mishnayim Batim put them in 72 rooms V'Lo Gilalahem Amach Kinsam did not tell them what this was all about and then when he did tell them they all produced 72 versions what we call the Septuagint the Targum HaShivim the Torah translated into Greek. Um, just as an example, instead of translating Breshit Bara Elokim, which can suggest that maybe there was a deity by the name of Breshit who created God, they translated Elokim Bara Breshit. God created the beginning. And, and such, um, Sukim that may have caused a Achil Hashem by, by having it translated, by having it misunderstood by the Greeks.
And back home in Eretz Yisrael, when this of, of authorized version of 72 Skenim from Yushalayim appears, they ordain on the third, on the eighth of Tevet a public fast day. This is what it says on, on in source number one. Bishmona Tevet on the eighth of Tevet. Nichtiva Torah Yevanit. Torah was written, was translated to Greek. We made Talmai Amelech. And darkness descended upon the world three days. Almost reminiscent of Makat Choshech in Parshat Bo, that darkness was three days. And what does that mean, darkness was three days? There, you remember the, um, the Rashi on the Pasuk in Parshat Bishalach, Vachamushim Alu B'nei Yisrael Me'eres Mitzrayim, which meant that Am Yisrael left Mitzrayim well equipped. Chimush, as we use it in modern Hebrew in the army, Chel Chimush, ammunition, weaponry. So Chimush means they were well equipped, even on a military sense, they had armaments and so on. But Chazal pick up on the word five in the word Chamushim, and they said one out of five left Mitzrayim. That's one Medrash. The other Medrash says one out of 50 left Mitzrayim. And third Medrash says one out of 500 left Mitzrayim. So Rashi does, has a, does well with Am Yisrael, and he says one out of five. Echad mechamisha yatza. You know what that means? 80% intermarried. Or assimilated. Rashi doesn't use that word. He says, They died in the Makkah of Choshech. Now, we grew up on that Rashi because we learned Chumash Rashi in first grade. But what does it mean? All of a sudden, 80% of B'nai Yisrael just die and, that, and we have no mentioning of it in the Chumash. It's just a medrash. Uh, it means that, of course, there was some type of assimilation that went on. That's the nature of what happens when Am Yisrael is in the diaspora. And that's, and that's called Makat Choshech. They lose touch of the Torah or. When you lose touch with the tradition, with the light of Torah, you die makat choshech. And hence, Torah in translation was viewed in Yerushalayim as makat choshech. And so they fasted on the day of the appearance of the uh, Targum Shivim, the Septuagint. Now I'd like to just mention the memory of an outstanding personality who was responsible for so much spreading of Torah in the English language, Rabbi Meir Zvladowitz, Zechat Tzadik Levracha, the, the publisher and founder of Art Scroll. So Art Scroll is, we're living in the Art Scroll generation. And I say it, Lishvach Ulignai. So in the memory of Rabbi Zvladowitz, clearly Lishvach, clearly Lishvach, he has, he, he, he caused a revolution in terms of the massive amount of people who now have access to the sources, to Gemara and other things, because of the wonderful, wonderful art scroll publications that have come out in the last 30, 40 years. On the other hand, a, set, a certain amount of, more than a certain amount, of laziness has kicked in. When you talk about somebody who works from 9 to 5 and wants to look at Dafyaimi and has a half hour of free time to breathe and opens up an art scroll, the Schattenstein Gemara, that's wonderful, that's wonderful. But if you take a yeshiva bacher who's supposed to be sitting and learning three sedarim a day, and can't read anything in Hebrew any longer because he's part of the art school generation, there's something wrong with that. Something terribly wrong. In Egypt, when Am Yisrael had a thriving Jewish community in the second Beit HaMikdash era, in the Greek um, culture era, we had a great Jewish philosopher, Philo from Alexandria. The second president of Yeshiva University, Dr. Shmuel Belkin, Zechorin Lebracha, wrote a doctoral dissertation on Philo and the oral law and claimed that Philo did no Hebrew. So here you have this outstanding Jewish philosopher of um, about uh, 2,200 years ago, who was an art scroll person, who read all the sources in art scroll. Which means, when you 
have a translation, you have locked yourself into one possibility of understanding the text. It is impossible to, to translate the text in a multifaceted way of shiv'im panim le Torah. Impossible. And hence, by studying Torah only in the vernacular, while you receive a mitzvah of Talmud Torah, part of the Mishnah in the seventh parak of Masechet Sota, ve'elu ne'emarin b'chol lashon. Indeed, there's a mitzvah. This shir is considered a mitzvah, no doubt. But we lose something if we're not using the authentic Hebrew text. If you don't have a command of the language, you'll never be able to sift out all the nuances and all the uh, secrets that the texts emit. And that's why they fasted. They fasted because of the Yemei Choshech that descended upon the world, that there was a period of darkness. People only picked up on one side, one facet. And that is the eighth of of, uh, Tevet. But the most fascinating part of this line is the end, underlined. Ubitetbo, and on the ninth of Tevet, Lonoda, Ezehi Hatsarash Erubo. We don't have a clue what happened on that day. We don't have a clue what happened on that day. Lonoda, Ezehi Erubo. We don't know what happened on that day. But it's a fast day anyway. What does that mean? So, first of all, we mentioned the fifth, we mentioned the eighth. We mentioned the 10th, maybe even twice. We mentioned the possibility of the 11th. And now we're stuck on the 9th. The 9th day of Tevet. Am Yisrael does not forget anything. Their mitzvah of Zachor is not only for Amalek. 10 schirot you have in the Siddur. Zachor, Zachor, Lotishkach. When does Am Yisrael forget something? We forget things. Where did I put the keys? You know, that we forget. But that Am Yisrael should forget a national event that at some generation they ordained a fast day? And we don't have a clue? Now this is in Shulchan Aruch. That's 16th century. But this Lono Da Eze Sarah is found in one of the versions of the Megillah Ta'anit. Megillah Ta'anit is a work from the end of the second Beit HaMikdash era. Five years before the destruction, a scroll was written called Megillah Ta'anit. I like to call it Megillah Anti-Ta'anit. It's basically a, a, a calendar of Yamim Tovim. These are the days that we are forbidden to fast. These are the days forbidden to say eulogies. Practically all of the Yamim Tovim of Megillah Ta'anit were abolished with the destruction of second Beit HaMikdash, except for Hanukkah and Purim. That's what the Gemara says. In Masechet Rosh Hashanah, Botla Megillah Ta'anit, Chutz Mechanakim Purim. So Chanakim Purim survived the calendar. We still have them. But all the others are gone and forgotten. Why gone and forgotten? Because they were politically based or based on some type of military, local military victory. They felt they should make a yom out of it. But after the Churban, they became, as we say in this country, low relevanti, irrelevant, totally irrelevant. 1973-74, in Tradition, which is a journal of the... Um, Rabbinical Council of America, somebody dare write an article on how would orthodoxy uh, in the, throughout the world survive the destruction of the state of Israel. So he deals with uh, different aspects of what our connection is to the Medina. Could we survive the destruction of the Medina? There was a, a ton of letters to the editor. Nobody dealt with the issue that this particular author wrote. The letters to the editor dealt with one point. What kind of chutzpah to even raise, we call the Havamina, the thought that the Medina is going down. Just the very thought of it is weak, is a weakening experience. It shows lack of abuna. And don't ask what people wrote, criticizing the person who wrote it. But the truth of the matter is, 
That's exactly what happened at the end of the Bayit Sheni, when the Bayit Megdash was destroyed. These Yamim Tovim became irrelevant. And of course, with our greatest hope, that Kadosh Baruch Hu give us all the strength to see this project of Medinat Yisrael to its glorious end, but God forbid, God forbid, the fruits of the Six-Day War would be reversed because of political pressure. Would we continue observing Yom Yerushalayim on the 28th of Iyar? It would be a big question. And that's what that uh, particular author was trying to suggest. What exactly is our connection? So, Megillat Hanit went out. And why Hanukkah and Purim survived is a sheer. Why did both of these Chagim survive? Purim's in Tanakh, Hanukkah, there were good reasons. So, that's a, that's a story. But in the Megillat Anit, is there are scientific editions of Megillat Anit that only have Chagim. But there are other editions where there seems to be some add-on material. And there are also some fast days there. And one of them is the ninth of Tevet. And it says, Lo noda erubo. We don't know what Tzarah occurred then. Which means the national um, forgetfulness of the, ninth, of the events of the ninth of Tevet has a history. We remembered for 1,500 years to forget what happened. <laughs> it has all the trimmings of censorship, of internal censorship. Internal censorship means when we, the Am Yisrael, doctor up the text for a good reason. And you know, when prints, forum were copyright, were written, handwritten manuscripts and then printed, so we grew up with Aleinu L'Shabeach L'Adonah Kol, you come to Eretz Yisrael, and all of a sudden, it's So now in Chutz Laaretz, you have it stuck in with parentheses or brackets because they've discovered that it's there. But for many, many years, nobody said it. Why? Because it could be an affront to the Catholic Church. It could stimulate a pogrom. And we were scared. So you have today a safer called Chesronot Ashas, everything that was deleted from the Gemara or changed around. And from the Rambam, for that matter. So today, in the Steinsatz Gemara, everything's printed. In the Shabti Frankel Rambam, everything's printed. In the Yemenite Rav Kapach Rambam, everything's printed. Because we're not worried about the Catholic Church anymore. Who's worried about the Catholic Church? Mehmet. So we can write everything. <laughs> Mehmet. They are. They are, right. <laughs> so when the Rambam wrote about uh, Yeshu and he wrote about uh, Islam, now it's all back in business. It's, it's in the text. But most people, you know, were applying from Brisk, didn't read this because he didn't have it. And uh, the, the, uh, when the Gemara talks about uh, uh, Madrashim, about Asav, uh, spell out Asav, Ayin Sin Vav, and you look at old manuscripts and it didn't say Ayin Sin Vav, it said Yud Shin Vav, which was Yeshu. So, you know, all you have to do is take the Yud and make it into an Ayin, and now it's a nice drush on Parshat Toldot, on Asav. But these were deliberate changes that were made into the text. In the Rambam, when the Rambam wrote Goy, the printer knew he printed Akum of Dekofavim Mazalot, pagans. When the Rambam wrote Nochri, print Akum. When the Rambam wrote Avoid uh, Zara, print Akum. So how does the Rambam read about the halacha of a Goy that doesn't serve Avoid Zara? Akum Shalo Avad Akum. That's the absurdity. That's what can happen. Lo noda ezatzara erubo means it was internal censorship. And now we have to figure out what happened on the 9th of Tevet that we made it into a fast day. So if you look in source number 3, this is the Mogan of Rome, one of the Paiskem and Shulchan Aruch. And he says, Lo noda ubislichot shelanu, in our slichot of Asara Tevet, it reads, Shemet Ezra HaSofer. It's the yard side of Ezra HaSofer. 
From where do we know that? What is the implication? What does that mean? We don't have a clue. We don't have a clue what this means. Alright, so Ezra, so Nehemiah also died. Everybody dies. So why, because Ezra Seifer dies, we make a yard site? A lot of great people died. And they didn't make, nobody made a yard site for the death of the Rambam or Rashi. So Ezra Sofer passed away. It's not a big chiddush that Ezra Sofer passed away. So why stick it in as a, as a fast day? And if it was a fast day, why camouflage it? Lo no da And what was the calamity with the death of Ezra Sofer? Lo no da erubo. So let's take a look at the... Um, so before we get to the slichas itself, where the Mongan of Ram is referring to, so there was a theory. There was a theory that this has to do with Christianity. And we're going to present two theories that has to do with Christianity. One is a theory that was uh, forwarded by some of the Gedolei Yisrael of the early days of the Achronim, 15th, 16th century. And one that was posited a real novel idea by Professor Schneer Lyman, who came up with an unbelievable idea, but also barking up the Christianity tree. The first, I heard for the first time uh, when I spoke on this subject um, in a different vein in my brother's shul in Teaneck, New Jersey, a, a very distinguished Tamachacham scholar, Rabbi Moshe Bernstein, shared some information with me that by taking the English calendar day, today 2017, and working backwards 2,017 years ago, you're going to notice, if you do this correctly, that December 25th, that year, fell out on the 9th of Tevet. On the 9th of Tevet, December 25th. Which means that Am Yisrael felt that the Christianity itself was a major, major tzara for Am Yisrael. Major. We would suffer tremendously, and we did suffer tremendously because of Christianity. And it deserved a fast day. But you're not going to go public on this and say that we're going to fast day, fast day the day that the Christians are observing as their Yom Tov on December 25th. You're not going to do that. We had enough trouble with this. The whole minag of Nittelnacht, of playing cards and trying to shy away from doing things... Uh, that resembled Talmud Taira, could stimulate a pogrom already in days of the Gemara. talks about that Hanukkah candles that would stimulate a, an anti-Semitic reaction so you don't have to light by the door or by the window, light it inside. Already mentioned the Gemara. We had a lot of trouble with Hanukkah in light of Christianity. So if indeed the date correlates between the 25th of, of December and the 9th of Tevet that year, so it makes sense why this was camouflaged. What Professor Schneer Lyman suggests is something else. This is ingenious. He claims that one of the church fathers, he says, firstly, he brings sources that say that it was the yard site, the ninth of Tevet, but not of Ezra Sofer, somebody else. Somebody whose name was Shimon. Some figure who was known as a tzaddik and he was, died on the ninth of Tevet, and Am Yisrael remembered him by observing his yard site with a fast day. Who was the Shimon? Who was this Tzaddik? And as it was, um, Professor Lyman suggests, using sources and putting the puzzle together, 
and he's a very, very serious scholar, that we're talking about the church father, Simon, who was also known as Peter. And he was a fifth column person planted by Chazal into the ranks of Christianity for the purpose of derailing it. What happened was in the first generation of Christianity, of course the great expert today in the subject is uh, Rabbi Professor David Berger, who's written so much about this in Jewish-Christian polemics. The, um, the first generation of Hebrew Christians not only were Jews, but they were religious Jews. They could have come to Mincha and Meirev in your shul. And they didn't wear badges that we believe that Yeshua was Mashiach. But that's, that besides, aside from the belief that Yeshua was Mashiach, between them and the other Jews sitting next to them in shul, it was not much different. They were chassidim, they were ultra-Orthodox, they were very from, as we would say. So much so, Chazal couldn't identify them and they called them minim, from the word minhu. Like the word man, ki lo mahu, so minim was lo mihu. We don't know who he is. It's somebody in the crowd. We can't pick him out. So Chazal instituted a bracha. We today have changed it to velam al shinim in Ashkenazi liturgy. But the Svaradim still have it in the original, ala minim. It was a bracha that a Kadosh Baruch Hu should deal a death blow to those who believe in Christianity. From our ranks. That's what it was. We raise our hands like Kadosh Baruch Hu, we're at a loss. We don't know who to start up with. We don't know how, we cannot identify them. The belief is in the heart. So you do it. You take care of it. And it was a tefillah in A bracha in three times a day. Kadosh Baruch Hu should eradicate the minim. But you have to do something also, not just davin. It has to be some type we call ishtadlut, some human effort. So what they did was they planted, this is what Rabbi Fressel Lyman claims, planted a spy. And he becomes one of the church fathers to cause them to derail the theology of Christianity. So it becomes very, very clear that no Jew is going to jump on the bandwagon any longer. And he succeeds. And he dies on the 9th of Tevet. And Am Yisrael decides to remember him. But obviously this is not something that's going to show up in written form in the sources. But it was actually a gesture of hakaratatov, of appreciation to somebody who sacrificed his religious life on behalf of Klai Yisrael. It's a wonderful idea. And I'm not challenging it. But I'd like to get back to what the Bogan of Rome said. That was Ezra's yard site. And now let's take a look at the slichot. On the second page on the bottom, one of, and you also have, I believe, the English translation of this. It's taken out of the Rabbi Rosenfeld edition of Slichot. Right, you have it? Okay. So on the bottom of the second page you have the text of the Piyut Eskira Matzok. And on the other page in English um, you have the, the translation from Rabbi Rosenfeld. Uh, I apologize a little bit for the quality, but simply uh, my scanner on my cell phone... <laughs> thrown into my computer, you know, and it came out, this is how it came out, that's it, good enough. So, if you just look at both pages, I'm going to read the Hebrew and cross-reference to the English as we go. Three afflictions, or three blows, he afflicted me on this month. All different phrases of being broken. The first episode was on the 8th. 
Smalit v'yamanit. Left and right. There are some people would translate this. I'm trying to see what uh, how Rosenfeld translated this. Crushed me on both right and left. As if to say, from all sides. In Yiddish we say from Alazaitan. From all sides we got hit. But that's not really the pshat. How do you write Hebrew lettering? You write Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalid, right? From right to left. But Greek is written from left to right. So this is the, the inference. Bismalit v'yamanit. Everything now turned around. Instead of right to left, it became left to right. Halosh loshtan kavati tanit. On all three, we um, assigned the tanit, a fast day. Umelech yavan insani. He forced us, in the word ones, lichtov dat yavanit, to translate the Torah into Greek. Al gabei choshu choshim herichu manit. And it continues. Zoamti b'tishabo, and we were angered. He translates, on the ninth I was denounced with reproach and shame. Zoamti b'tishabo b'chlima v'chefer, chasach me'alai, it was removed from me, me'il hod v'tsefer, the garment of majesty. Tarof tarafbo, hanotein imre shefer, we know where these phrases come from. One is from Yosef, Tarof Toraf Yosef, and one is from Naphtali, from Parshat Vayechi, Naphtali Ayala Shlucha, right? Hanotein Imre Shefa. What exactly is the Paitan doing here, the poet, by introducing these two phrases from Bereshus? Who is Razofer? This sounds, forget about the poetic Hebrew, the whole thing sounds Chinese. What happened? Why on the ninth of of, of, of Tevet was there shame and reproach? Why? What mi'il hod v'chefer? What royal garb was removed from me? What does this have to do with Yosef being ripped, ripped up, devoured? And what does this have to do with Naphtali? Hanotein imre shefer? Who is Rasofer? This is what the Mogen Avram refers to. He says, you know, Sligis... It mentions that Ezra Sofer's Yorzeit was on the ninth, and then it goes on and tells us about Yom Asiri, the tenth, Siva Ben Buzi that Yecheskel Anavi, and he, and so on. And he also makes reference to what uh, Rabbi Shimon says, Huktair. We found the found out the bad news too. So he brings three, which are four in this particular piyut. But I'd like to just focus on Ezra Sofer. Ezra Sofer. I remember that in many shirim that we had the schut of hearing our great rabbi, the Rav of Salvechik Zatzal, I hardly remember him quoting Rav Kook, except for one particular line that he loved. Quoted it in the Chuvadrasha and other times. It comes from the Olat Re'iyah, the Perush and Siddur of Rav Kook, on the tail end of the Yom Kippur Davenings, all five Shman Esrei. Elokai atshalo notzarti eni kedai, v'achshav shenotzarti ke'ilu we say to God that uh, until I was created or born, I wasn't worth much. But now that I was created, I haven't figured out, it's as if as I wasn't created. What does this mean? Says Rav Kook, there's a reason why each and every one of us were born into a particular historic context. Because within that historic context, we have a mission. We have something to do. 
We have nothing to do in the 12th century or 13th century or 14th century, and that's why we weren't created in those centuries. I wouldn't be worth anything because I have no mission for those generations. You know what the problem is? As I stand today before you and Yom Kippur, now that I was born, haven't figured out yet what I'm supposed to be doing. And you ask Kadosh Baruch to try to guide you to what your mission in life would be. There are people at the end of their lives can sigh with satisfaction and say, look, I've made mistakes in life. We all make mistakes, right? Big Bird taught us that in Sesame Street a long time ago. <laughs> we all make mistakes. But, as the Rav said once, Yadut never taught us that we won't make mistakes. Yadut taught us don't fall into the same trap twice. Try to learn from the mistakes. Learn from the mistakes. But there are people who honestly, honestly can look at a Kadosh Baruch Hu at the end of their life and say, I did my best. I think I figured out what you wanted me to do on this world, and I did my best. That's all. It's a tremendous thing if a person can say that. But there are people who actually can say that. Would Ezra HaSofer have been able to make that kind of a comment? Ezra HaSofer is the leading personality of the Anshe Knesagdola, that which turned around Yahadut and gave it reinvigorated energy, halachic spiritual energy, which lasts till this very day. Basus Yagda Torah, putting up the fence around the Torah, all the major institutions, takanot, and restrictions, xerot, they all hail back to the Anshek Nesagdola. Ezra Sofer expanded Kriyata Torah. Ezra Sofer, the Gemara tells us about Eset Takanot, so many institutions. He was involved in so much activity that was Kulo Kodesh, dedicated to Kadosh Bachu. And he was remarkable. The, the successes were absolutely remarkable. So would Ezra Sofer at the end of his life be able to look at a Kadosh Bachu and say, I tried my best, but I think I found out what I was supposed to do. And better than my best I could not have done. Now, turns out that Ezra thought of himself as a dismal failure. Dismal failure? Why a dismal failure? Because Ezra realized that all of his accomplishments didn't add up to his primary mission, and that was to bring about Shivat bring all of Amisro back to Bayachani. And it was a dismal failure. How many came back? Percentage-wise, no more than 5%. No more than 5%. And that wasn't an Israeli flag and an Israeli army. That was Beit HaMikdash with a Kohen Godel going into the Kodesh Kodeshim on Yom Kippur. 95% opted for America. It was a different name. They called it Bovel. They called it Bovel. But the people made a cheshbon. It's hard in Eretz Israel. We're now settled. Our grandparents were refugees. We finally got set up. And we own our homes. And we have our fields. Let's not rock the boat. Let's not rock the boat. And they balked. They balked at the call of Shivat Zion. And Ezra is struggling, struggling to get the Golad, the diaspora, to come back home. Take a look at source number five from the bottom of the first page. From the beginning of Masechet Brachot, Davdalit, Kidetanya, it says in the Brayta, in the Pasuk in Shiratayam, Ad Yavor Amcha Hashem, Ad Yavor Amzu Kanita. We say it every morning. It seems to be a phrase that repeats itself. In a poetic license, you can repeat yourself. 
So what does it mean, Ad Yavor Amcha Hashem, Ad Yavor? So the Gemara says, the first time Ad Yavor Amcha Hashem is Biarishonah. That's the first time we came into Eretz Yisrael, in the days of Yeshua. Ad Yavor Amzu Kanita, The second time we came into Eretz Yisrael. And it seems to be parallel. The phrase, Ad Yavor, Ad Yavor, is the same, same idea. So the same way we came into Eretz Yisrael the first time around, that's the way we came the second time around. But that's not true. The Gemara says, "Amikan amruch hachamim reuyim hayu Yisrael leasot lehem nes b'mei Ezra kederech shenaaseh lehem b'mei Yeshua benun." It would have been appropriate for Kadosh Baruch Hu to bring Am Yisrael back into Eretz Yisrael in the days of Shivat Zion in such a miraculous way, as He did the first time around in the days of Yeshua. Ella, but shegaram hachet. The sin prevented this. What sin are we talking about? What sin? They they weren't makbed on Chol of Yisrael? Half the people didn't eat chalak? Glat? But what was the Avera? What was the big Avera? What was the big Avera? They didn't come back to Eretz Yisrael. They didn't want to come back to Eretz Yisrael. They did not want to come back to Eretz Yisrael. And because of that, the second Beit HaMikdash did not stand a chance. Which means, you want to know when was Churban Bayit Sheni? The death of Ezra HaSofer. When Ezra HaSofer dies and goes with him his mission, his unfulfilled mission, this Beit HaMikdash is doomed. Doomed. It's going to live out a few hundred years. But there's no way that it's going to make it. The Nevi'im only spoke about two Batei Mikdash. Chagai, Gadol Yeh, Bayit Acharon, Min Harishon. He didn't speak of three. This was going to be Yemot HaMashiach. It would take some time to develop into it. But with the absence of Am Yisrael coming in throngs, 5%, 5%, there was no way this Beit Mikdash was going to make it. And what were the arguments and what were the tools that Ezra used in order to try to stimulate a mass aliyah from Bavel? So go back to the saying, the um, the slichas, the slichot, um, and it would be again on the fifth line, the third line, the end of the third line. Zo'amti b'tishabo b'klima v'chefer. And on the ninth boy, with great embarrassment. Who was embarrassed? Ezra Sofer was embarrassed, as the end of the line says. Who Ezra Sofer? It was a great embarrassment to Ezra. Chasach me'alai was denied from me. Me'il hod v'tsefer. You know what was denied from him? The mantle of Yemot Mashiach. That's what was denied. Nothing more, nothing less. Tarov Torafbo. Hanotein Imre Shefer. If you recall back in Parshat Vayeshev, when the brothers tell Yaakov that a vicious, a wild animal a, a devoured Yosef, Tarof Toraf Yosef, this initiates the beginning of a long galut, a long exile. And with the death of Ezra, an exile is actually beginning not a period of redemption at all. And it's no wonder 
that the Rambam ordains that throughout Bayit Sheni we continue fasting Tishavaf. Continue. But then comes the clincher. Hanotein Imre Shefer. This is really wild. Out of Parshat Vayachi. So if you look at the fourth section, the, the, uh, source number four. Source number four. Back on the first page. Story about Kiryat Arba and the burial of Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu requests burial in Eretz Yisrael while he's going to die in Mitzrayim, as we know. And Yosef, who's the vice minister, vice king, honors the request. And they all go up as an entourage to Eretz Canaan. They bury Yaakov uh, next to Le'ah in the Kiryat Arba, in the Chevron, in the Marat HaMachpelah. Why is it called Kiryat Arba? Arba Azugot Hayu. There were four couples buried there: Adam v'Chava, Avraham v'Sarah, Yitzchak v'Rivka, and Yaakov v'Leah. And now came a controversy between Esav, Yaakov's twin, and the brothers. And Esav claimed that he deserves the last grave in the Marata Machpelah. One second. Yaakov buried Leah in my section. And and what's now Leah's buried there, and that which is left, that which is left, it's my grave, says Esav. So they told Esav, Zavinte, we bought it. It belongs to Yaakov Avinu. Yeah, you bought it? Nehi de Zavina Bichiruta. If you want to say that Yaakov dug it, because in Parshat Vayechi it says, Asher Kariti, I dug the grave. Pshituta, it would be simple. Mizvine, was it really bought? Amrule, they said, in, yes. Dichtiv Bikivri Asher Kariti Li, the grave that I dug. Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Mishum Rabbi Shim Ben Yotzadak, En kira elalashon mechira. Kira doesn't mean digging here, but it means purchasing. Shekain becharche hayam korin lemechira kira. In some dialect, sailors' language, you can interchange between kira and chira and, and mechira. Amar lehu, so Esav's a smart aleck. Says you bought it. Bring me the contract. Where's the bill of sale? Havula yagirta. Yeah, bring me the bill, bring me the letter, the contract. We left it in the safe in Cairo. We didn't schlep everything. We're we're tourists now in Eretz Canaan. We're going back to Eretz Mitzrayim. Man Nezel, they realized they had to send somebody fast to bring this contract. Nezel Naftali. Let's send Naftali. The Kalil Ki Ayalata. He's light like a uh, deer. Naftali Ayala Shlucha. And here you see why the Israeli government has a good sense of humor because the post office symbol is the Ayala Shlucha. Somebody a month ago sent me a letter, an envelope, sealed envelope from Hashmanoim. I'm still waiting for it, right? Dichtiv Naftali Ayala Shlucha Hanotein imre shefer. Amar Rababahu, al tikri imre shefer, ela imre sefer. 
It's a document. It's a document. Why did the poet say, Tarof Toraf Hanotein Imre Shefer? The argument that Ezra was using, he was waving the document of the Edict of Cyrus. Hatzarat Korash. We have a license. It's signed and sealed by the Persian authorities. There's no excuse any longer. You don't have to be in Galut. And if you remain, it's by choice. Your grandparents were thrown out of Eretz Yisrael. They were Golnim. Al Narod Bavel Sham Yashavnu Gambachinu Bezochenu Etzion. But now you have the opportunity of coming home. Here, the Persians are telling you, come home and build Yerushalayim. Hanotainim Reshever. And if you don't come, it's going to be Tarof Toraf all over again. It's going to be the beginning of a very, very long Galut. And they don't come. And Ezra dies a very disappointed, very bitter person, very sad person, very embarrassed person. If you look at source number 6, the top of the second page, from the Kuzari. So you know, everybody wants to teach anything about the love of Tzion, of Eretz Yisrael, you go to Rabbi Dalevi. Tzion, Alo Tishali, L'Shlom Asirayach, the poems of Rabbi Dalevi we say on Tisha B'Av. So here the Chaver, who's the representative of Am Yisrael, this is of course Rabbi Dalevi speaking, is responding to the accusation of the Melech Khazar, the king, who says, well, if Eretz Yisrael is so important, how come they didn't come back when they had the opportunity? And he uses the same words that the Paitan, the poet, uses about Ezra. Hovashtani. I am thoroughly embarrassed. I don't have a good answer. I do not have a good answer. Melech Kuzar. V'avon azeh hu minanu me'ashlamat mashiyadanu bo'elokim b'vayetsheni. And this is what caused that that which HaKadosh Baruch Hu initiated in Bayit Shini would not develop into fruition. In the beginning of Zechariah, that we lay on Hanukkah for Haftarah. means that prophecy would have been restored to Israel to those deserving, as it was Kasha Batchala. If Am Yisrael would have, with a desirous will, would have come back. Some came back. The majority stayed. That means great people. Rabbonim and Rosh Yeshiva. I mean, people should read this. Both in Israel and in Chutzlaretz. People say, you know, all right, you know, I have a big yeshiva, you know, I can't go. This is what he's yelling at. Everybody had a good, convenient excuse. And I just came back now from Shabbos. Last night I landed. But I came back from Skokie, Illinois, from Shabbos. And I remind people that when the Torah says, Lech lecha me'aretzcha in that phrase are all the legitimate reasons why not to come in Aliyah. All of them are there. Just think about it. All of them are there. Family reasons, patriotic reasons, economic reasons. Yeah, they're good reasons. Everybody has good reasons. Torah says, Lech Lecha. Lech Lecha. And who didn't come? Most of them. And the great people. G'dolehim. Be'bavel. Rotsim. Be'galut. U'bavodah. 
שלא יפרדו ממשכנותיהם וענייניהם. They don't want to leave their homes and their businesses. They prefer Galut. And then he, he quotes a few more psukim, and I'm just skipping. He says, Al Ezra Shaya Potser Bahem Unchemya Vanevi'im. Ezra and Chemya, they tried so hard. Atshe Hoduk Tzatam Lashuv Hoda'a Bilti Gmura. Some of them admitted, but you know, really didn't really mean it. Vinatandahem Kematspun Libam. He's trying to explain why it didn't really happen, because so few came. And therefore the element of uh, rebuilding in Eretz Israel was so reduced, it was proportional to the will of the people to return. Had we been with the Kadosh Baruch Hu, prepared, full heart, we would have met up with what Am Yisrael met up in Mitzrayim, and that's reflecting what the Gemara said, miraculous events, the Ein Diburenu, our words, and the words, Hishtachvu Lahar Kotsho, Hishtachvu Ladom Raglav, and other such phrases, it's the chirping of a bird. People say it three times a day. They don't mean it. They don't mean one word of it. They don't mean it. The chirping of a bird. That's all. We don't give a moment's thought of the implications of what Atfila is. Kasha Amarta, Melach Kazar, as you said. As you said. This is an unbelievable statement. And why Ezra? The death of Ezra, in essence, is the death of Baycheni. And hence, if Ezra dies on the 9th of Tevet, it's incorporated as part of the fast of Tevet, of the Churban. Indeed, as in the style of the great Nevi'im, we have to end with one word of Nechama. And there are great words of Nechama here. Rav Harlap, the great student of Rav Kook, said, Why do we daven three times a day? We ask Kadosh Baruch Hu that we should witness seeing his coming back. Let, just say, it, let, ask a Kadosh Baruch Hu to return to Tzion Yerushalayim, and uh, as they say, Shalom Yisrael. No, no, no. Rav, Rav Chalab said, when it happens, there's still going to be plenty of blind people there, and not acknowledging that it's happening. So we ask a Kadosh Baruch Hu three times a day that we should be part of the group that realizes it, that sees it, that witnesses, and can say testimony. We're seeing it. And to that end, we go into Tisha B'Av this year with the great hope that all of Am Yisrael open their eyes, will say Pokeach Ivrim, and they'll all see Kadosh Baruch Hu returning to Tzion Yerushalayim. Yeah, yeah.